Welcome to episode 657 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 657 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good, Bevan. Pretty good. Yourself? You've, you, you've got a digger story. Let's start with that. Oh, no. Uh, Michael from, uh, is a Polish fella who lives in near Edinburgh. Yep. He said if you're ever over in that neck of the woods, he's got a digger for his work business oh. and you can go and drive a digger. It makes me want to book a flight today, John. There you go. It makes me want to book a flight today because... Diggers are in action outside Bevan's place. Yep. Uh, weather report today. It's going to be nice. Good day, isn't it? 25 degrees. How about that cricket? We're doing right in the cricket? We're doing right in the cricket. It is Bangladesh. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, Jumbo. Robert Cuddles Evans. That's a good one. We've got Nicholas Hitch uh, Pocock. And Joel Sensei Bell. Oh, Sensei. <laughs> and this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got an interview with Craig Harrison, Doctor Doctor Craig Harrison, yeah, PhD after that, in mate. Kiwis. If you know of Anna Harrison from the Harrison Hoist in our Kiwi netball team, what's the Harrison Hoist, John? Harrison Hoist in netball. For a, a, a lot of people who don't know about netball, it's it's, it's not really like basketball, but it's a ball sport, and you pass the ball, you're not allowed to bounce it, you're not allowed to run with the ball, and you don't have a backboard, and it's predominantly played by females. It's um, a great game. Great game. I actually played it one season, John, when I was younger. I played rugby as a young man. One year I couldn't play rugby, so I played outdoor netball. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, John, if you're a single man, outdoor <laughs> <laughs> netball is a good game to play. Anyway, Anna Harrison was a defender, and um, you're allowed to kind of, you've got to be what? About three feet. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so in, in, in netball, unlike basketball, they if you're a defender, you can't be too close to the shooter. So they have like a, maybe maybe it's a meter. So uh, you have to have a distance between yourself and the shooter. And also, there's a lot of rules in netball. Oh, and there's a lot of little the short whistle pedals. is going the whole bloody yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, but it's very fast moving. But basically, if you go within that zone. You, they get a penalty and they basically you have to step aside and they can get a free shot, basically. So the Harrison Hoist, she was a defender and she teamed up with her other defender and they would lift her up a metre away when the person was about to shoot and blocking the ball. They yeah. only did it very randomly. So uh, Apparently timing attack. was pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's her husband. Oh, there you go. So there you go. Talking about... Uh, youth development. Youth development. It's good talk. Mm, it's good talk. Uh, we've got a high five. Age group of the week, a yeah. random one. And then we've got some questions and answers at the end. Okay, John, not much is happening at the moment, but the main racing is the ITU. It is. We had ITU at the weekend. Now, how long am I going to give myself, Bevan? I'm going to give myself, get my little stopwatch Oh, we're going. going to talk about this one now, Well, right? we're going to talk about this one. So if you haven't watched it, I do urge you to go and sign up to triathonlive.tv. Uh, and I'm going to give myself five minutes to talk about the actual race. Okay, so the alarm. The alarm is Okay, so if you set. want to watch it now, you can go to triathonlive.tv. Uh, you have to subscribe. What does it cost? Oh, I haven't started. I'm going to restart my five minutes. Uh, what does oh, it cost? Oh, 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 I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but it's pretty Five dollars a month. Okay, so five US a month, or six US a month, really. But yearly, you're basically going to pay about $27 US, so probably about 40 bucks a year in New Zealand. The cool thing is, A, good. there's a lot of coverage. And B, they've got all the historical stuff in there as well. So and also, they like you were saying last week, what a great photo that is. 
Who's that? It's wild from New Zealand. Oh yeah, there's a sprint finish in a, in a mixed a, relay that's somewhere. That's a great photo. That may be one of the best sporting photos you would see. John, we had a mic problem. We've got a mic problem today. We have. And so we need a new mic, but we're going to work through it. But anyway, um, so triathlonlive.tv uh, is a great resource. But John, you start your five minutes now. The racing, start my five minutes now. I will start with the females, and not a great surprise there. Uh, Katie Zaveris uh, took took the win, coming off some fantastic Super League form. Uh, there was a breakaway on the bike, and they just worked it and just crushed the, the rest of the field, and they didn't even have a chance. But the cool thing, what I like about this is, Often these circumstances, the person who wins up ends up winning the race, Katie Zaveris, been in a breakaway, still outruns all the runners in the in the pack behind. So she ran 16.09. The course was short um, because the guys ran 14 minutes. Uh, I assume it was short. Uh, and the, but then Cassandra Bogrand, who's one of the fastest runners in the sport, and Vicky Holland, they were both a little bit slower than hers. So Katie Zaveris. So you say this often happens. Why do you think this happens? Uh, you're front running. You get the you get the urge. You're in for the win. Whereas everybody else, you know, you're running for seventh place. You're probably not going to catch hardly anybody. So it's just anybody. a fight. It's just a fight. Okay. Uh, and we'll maybe talk about Mike Phillips a bit later on as well. So it was pretty much one one way traffic. Uh, Taylor Spivey was second. Jess Learmonth was third. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how these others uh, battle away. I think. We're going to see really different races as the season progresses. Very early on, technical course. The uh, the Poms didn't look like they were on on top form, um, but good to see Non Stanford was was back to fifth. So she had the fastest run out of the females. Uh, so onto the guys race. What about the boys, because if we look at that, that young man, Alex Yee, is Alex everyone Yee? talking about him? He got in second place. He did, and it was wasn't quite a sprint finish, but they were going shoulder to shoulder. I've got to say, firstly. Go the Kiwis. We had we got tenth and sixth. But the cool thing was the intent was awesome. Coming into transition, they were first and second, so straight out onto the bike. Yep. And Hayden Wild uh, took a flyer, and he was leading for about the first three and a half k's. Oh, really? He uh, and then he I wouldn't say capitulated. Can he run? Well, he's he still got tenth. He just got run down by uh, you know by six or seven guys in the final meters. So he was still you know he was only twenty five seconds off the win. So he's he's good. He can ride a bike. Uh, needs to work on his swimming. And was lucky that the cards played out the way they did. But yeah, Alex Yee is the one uh, that is going to be interesting to see if he can take what he's got, this natural running ability, and see if he can convert that in one year's time to being an Olympic champion. It might be just a little bit too soon, I think, but he's certainly going to be a contender. Sprint distance and Olympic distance is a different beast. Uh, So over sprints, I think he's going to be right up there. Olympic, we'll just have to wait and see. What, What has he done in the Olympic distance? Um, he's been there or thereabouts in a few races. He's still near. This is his first world triathlon series race. Oh, and he okay. gets second. Wow. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. He's born in 98, so he's only 21 years old. Vincent Louis was probably the surprise package who didn't really fire. He was down in fifth place after being so dominant at the end of last season and in the Super League. Uh, and yeah. Generally, the top three weren't guys that did Super League, and um, so Super League's fantastic, but it's not necessarily the greatest predictor of who's in the best shape. Guys like Tyler Mistelchuk, who was pretty competitive, he was down in eleventh place. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty pretty good racing. So you got some interesting stuff here talking about. Um 
people who will be ready for Tokyo. So you talked about Brownlee. So you talk, tell us about this. So Brownlee, in 2007, I distinctly remember this, he got second to Chris Gemmell in a World, it was a world Cup back then. It wasn't the WT was That was the top That was the top race. tier. Yep. End of the season race, wasn't the strongest of field, but he finished just second behind Chris Gemmell, very similar to what Alex Yee did. And then he pushed on, and he was only 19 at, this, at that stage, so he's a couple of years younger than Alex Yee. The following year, he went on to win the under-23s, but he didn't really crack uh, crack the WTS circuit. And then 2019, he was onto it, and he, then that was when his sort of dominant reign really began. So, Wait a second, 2019, do you mean? Uh, 2009, sorry. Okay. So, yeah, I just wonder if, if the Olympics is almost like a year too early for Alex Yee. And the advantage he's going to have is that... Uh, it's a flat course, and so there's a reasonable chance that the bike will all come together. Uh, there is an outside chance there'll be there'll be a breakaway, so that certainly plays in his favour. And if it comes down to an, a fairly easy bike ride and another year of endurance in his legs, you know, I'd say he's, he stands a chance. What's his swim like? It's okay, but like, is he going to get dropped? He's not going to get dropped, but he's not going to be in the front group. You know, he's probably going to be in the the main pack of guys that are coming out. So if we get to the Olympics in another year from now. And he can be in the main pack, and it becomes a bit of a pack ride. He's a contender. Mm. Yeah, he is. Um, it's just he just needs probably needs some more miles in the legs. He's certainly fast enough to beat all those guys in terms of a flat straight. If it was just a straight running race, although no he, bike, he, no he didn't swim. Win this one. Sorry, he didn't win this one. I oh, know he didn't, but in a straight running race, no bike, no swim. Oh, okay, uh, there's my five minutes. Okay, um, we won't talk about who we're talking about. Okay, he would... Uh, <laughs> this person. I think he'd possibly win the race. Oh, oh, are you going to put the time back on for mixed relays? Or is it no, uh, I, I will vaguely talk about the mixed relays, <laughs> not giving away the results. Now, mixed relays... We're like a news show that doesn't talk about the news. <laughs> the mixed relays is awesome, and we've said that before. And the cool thing about this race is there's lots of lead changes, and what really shone out again in this race, as it does across the board, is you can never give up. Um, the Kiwis were down, uh, were, were hovered all over the place. We were in third at one stage, we dropped down to as far as 13th, and then we finished really nicely. So wait, there's 13 teams. Oh, there's more than that, I think, uh, but some did get lapped, and it really oh. highlights if you've got a weak leg, you're screwed because the South Africans got themselves up to Henry Schumann got them up to like fourth, I think, like that at one stage, yep. and then they their second female must have been terrible uh, because then she got lapped. You know, oh really? <laughs> yeah. So you really. So it is a team effort, isn't it? Kiwis were out of it uh, until the last leg, and then Hayden Wild just tore the race to pieces. So where would we get? Well, we're not telling the results. Oh, John, <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> the okay, other- wait, show me a finger. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, there yeah. you go. You guys can go and watch it just to find out the results. The other twist in this race is there's penalties all over the bloody show. Why? You don't quite realise at the time. Now, I don't... Thomas, my Thomas was watching it, and he said some of them were for when they're running down the ramp uh, to the swim. This is what he thought. They put their hand onto one of the barriers and kind of swung around that. And apparently, you're not allowed to do that. And then maybe it happened on the run as well. But generally, your penalties are for uh, not dismounting in time yep. or not having your equipment in the uh, in not your little box. Down and so, but it sounds like in this case, it was for sort of touching barriers. And um, yeah, it seems a little bit harsh. But I think there was five teams that got penalties. What's your penalty? Stand down? Uh, it's either 10 or Stop 20 start? second pan oh, okay. stand down, which is 
massive. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I love about this format is it really highlights your strengths and your weaknesses. So for us in the Kiwis, you know, like Hayden Wild, weaker swimmer, he lost time in the swim, weapon biker, rides up and is able to drop people because there's only a few people on the course, you're able to yeah. ride through the packs. Yeah, so, so and that, your cycling is a real strength. If yeah. you're a strong cyclist, you actually get the advantage, don't you? Same with you're the swim. You're not pulling everyone along, are yeah. you? No, it's across the board, there's, yeah, there is drafting, but it's it's really gets split up, so it's a lot more of an individual so time you, trial. Okay, so let's look at a team where you've got like a top level, like a human, uh, then you've got maybe a mid-range and a couple. How do you, how do you, how do they tactically go about putting teams together? Well, it's at, this, at the moment, there's lots of changes within the teams in terms of the, the lineups. So the Australians had a different, uh, two, two that have raced before and then had two newbies in there. The Kiwis, our lineup was different to what we had in the Commonwealth Games. And what it goes, guys, uh, female, male, female, male. Okay. And... It changes every race, but you really need, I think, to have a a good person. Uh, do you like? Where do you put your strong person? Well, probably. Yeah, I mean, a traditional relay, you put your strongest person last. Yeah. But I think you, your th- your third and fourth people need to be really good swimmers, so they can swim up to uh, ideally, so they can swim up. Having said that, Hayden Wild wasn't a good swimmer, but that's where Kiwis have have done well in the past. Is we've had this guy called Taylor Reed, who's the current under twenty three world champion, and he's pulled us out of situations where going into that final leg might be twenty seconds down, going into the swim, and he's able to bridge that up and get onto that uh, that front group. So I didn't realize he's under world twenty three. What's his What's his potential moving forward? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah star. Good. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's like a Brownlee or anything, but a, a good top tenner. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't got a definitive answer in terms of the makeup of your teams, but you can't have a weakness. That's the one thing you can't have. You have one weak person, Game over. it's your history. You are the weakest link, John. You'll get a little bit frustrated because I'm not using Aerobars. I'm not, and along with other people, I think I cannot fathom why you don't have Aerobars in a, in a, in a race where chances are you may well be by yourself and what cracks me up even more is you don't have your bars on but yet some of them were actually going into the sort of the yeah. cyclist tuck where you have your elbows on the bars and you have your hands just hanging over the front what <laughs> I, I cannot the only reason i can understand or there's only two reasons which i think is the rationale first and i think this is the most important reason it's not cool do you know what? There's a great podcast called Revisionist History by um, Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about he did this podcast on underarm free throwing in basketball. Mm-hmm. So if you so you know a free throw, so you get a penalty, you, you, yep. you know you get a free shot. Now in basketball, if you go underarm, do it mm-hmm. between your legs, it's it's like oh gee, it's so much more successful. Like it's mm-hmm. it's like the, the statistics. And like guys, the guy I think the guy with, oh Jesus, my mic's the guy who has the record, he he basically did underarm or something like that. And but no one wants to do it because the shame of it. Oh. But statistically, you're a mug not to. And even like Shaquille O'Neal tried it for a while because he was renowned as a really bad free throw shooter, mm-hmm. and it went really successfully. But then he gave up on it just because of the shame of it. I or I, I, that's the almost the only reason I think they could do it. If but why is it not cool? It's just you want to be like a cyclist. You know, it's the young person's game. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I guarantee if someone like Katie Zaveris, Alistair Brownlee, Mola put Aerobars on, that'll have them. Yeah. Almost guarantee it. So that's the one reason. The only other reason that I can give is it takes up a little bit of space on your handlebars, 
but most of the time when you're sitting up, your hands are on your hoods. It's not like you're climbing. So aero bars do get in the way when you're climbing, but um, these guys aren't really having their hands on top of their bars. Well, so that's a find a solution hoods. for that. So I do not get it. The commentators, Emma Carney was commentating. She didn't get it. I just... I'm baffled by it. The one problem with the coverage, and I do love the triathlonlive.tv, but they haven't got the right mix of commentators, in my opinion. And I'm not having a go at the commentators because I, I think they're good. And, and this time they had Emma Carney, who's a multiple world champion, and she gave a really different insight into it. But they're both quite monotone-ish. And you need it. You need. You need, you need the, the feeder person. energy, don't you? Yeah. You know, you need the person who's kind of just telling the story of the race and got energy and excitement yeah. and makes it interesting. And then you got your expert who's showing the detail behind the race. We've discussed this before, and I just don't. Everything about this coverage is amazing in terms of they've got the right number of cameras. They've got fantastic splits. You're getting updates all the time. Really, really good. But then they're oh, not going to so important professional level like Emma Carney. She, she gave some really interesting insight because, man, if you want to meet a winner, she is, she is a winner. Yep. The way she's talking, you're just going, you are a winner, a just ruthless winner. And that was, I really enjoyed that. But she was just kind of talking and yeah, yeah, there was need, no excitement need, to it. Commentators make such a difference. If you get a good commentary team, oh my God, they can make sports so much more interesting. And you contrast that to Super League, and I know it's a different format and it's easier to commentate because there's lots happening all the time. But that Aussie guy, I don't even know what his name is, he really just keeps things flowing really well and there's lots of excitement. So that was my one my one gripe. Uh, Maybe about we should it. get a job because you and I would be a good team because I've got lots I, of energy. Yeah, that's the thing. If, there was t- if I joined their commentary team, it would be just as shit because I'd be the same sort of style. I'd yeah, be but you and I because I am that kind of energy nut bar mm. and then you are the more insightful guy. And so. Mm. So but I think they need three. I think it works really well. The Super League coverage, when they've had three people, when they've had Brownlee, um, Macca, and the other fella, I think that's worked really well. So they just need a bit of energy in that commentary box. It'd be great. Next race in the ITU series is on 27th of April, so we've got quite a wait until Bermuda, and hopefully we might see the return of Flora Duffy. It'd be interesting to see if she's still awesome. Now, just one other thing. there was We got a bit ahead of ourselves there, John, because we didn't talk about 70.3 that happened last weekend. Uh where was that? That was in Bariloche, um, which is, is in weird. Argentina. Okay. It looks amazing. Uh, I looked at a couple of pictures. I've only got, they've got one picture on, on Slow Twitch, and then I have oh, a bit of a yeah, look, look elsewhere. That. God, that looks like... That's if there was beautiful. a destination race you want to go to, check that one out. That looks awesome. Uh, I've got no idea what the course is like. Hayley Chura took out the females race in 4.34 by seven minutes. And likewise on the men's side, around about seven minutes, uh, Santiago Ascendo from Brazil took that out. But Jeepers, we talk about Challenge Wanaka and those races being amazing. The pictures I've seen of this place look Impressive. Next big race coming up is Ironman South Africa. It doesn't happen until April the 7th, so a few weeks away before we get our next big Ironman. I'm sure there'll be some 70.3s along the way. But uh, Jombo, let's talk about the discussion of the week. So last week's discussion of the week was if you were to kind of go through your races and give a ratio of the awesome, above average, average, below average, and terrible, how would you say you've done in your career? I've got to say... There's a few either delusional people out there uh, or they're not hard enough on themselves uh, because there's some people who are just like every race is awesome. Oh, wow, you're consistent or you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, you know what? Because <laughs> sometimes when I teach a class, you know, I love teaching the spin classes because it's such a simple workout. You can, um, you can, you can really just get in people's heads. And one thing, you, you, you get that person who says they never give, give up and I'm like, well, you haven't never really tried hard enough then, have you? You know what I mean? Because... Yeah, you, you have to have given up. If you, you know, there's no one's imp- no one can 
always win. No one can always win every moment. You know, giving up is a part of the journey of being an athlete. And I love this idea of if you haven't given up, well, maybe you need to try harder. You know? And maybe maybe the people that did say everything was awesome, they were talking about the whole experience. Ironman experience rather than necessarily Results. their performance. Because if every race has been awesome, you're not trying hard enough. Uh, Brian Dunn said six finishes, four were awesome, one above average, one below average. Been fortunate and I qualify these finishes based on performance. Rich Walker's got two races, both completed, faster in all three disciplines, second time, but 100% terrible performances. That made me question if I even can cut long distance. Duncan Penfold, he's done five. He said two awesome, first and third, one average, two below average. I do well, get too big for my boots, go go too hard, learn my lesson with a conservative attitude, then try again to race it and go terribly. And then he's got a, a couple of emojis here. He's got a poo emoji, and mm-hmm. I can't even see what the other two are. Okay, let me look, let me see. Maybe okay. I should get glasses. A poo, uh, like an, uh, an angel, yeah. and then like a worried face. So you do need glasses, John, because they're not that hard. <laughs> uh, Julian Swartz has got three Ironmans to date, uh, one awesome, one average, one below average. Uh, finishing first always a good thing, but walking over half the marathon because jacked up shin, his bone splint was made the problem. Tom Bland, 100% of my finishes have been awesome. Uh, it's the hours before the finishes that have generally been terrible. Uh, funny guy. <laughs> funny guy. Natasha, how's that one? Uh, Tremaine? Jermaine, 10 Ironman finishes, all awesome as I'm grateful that my body continues to allow me to do this sport, a sport that I love. Good old Volker, the vascular Viking uh, Voigt, five finishes, he's on Taiwan, Frankfurt, Rote, uh, Maastricht and Kona, Hawaii was the only bad one, so 80% awesome, 20% terrible. Peter Colson's got 10 Ironman finishes, three awesome, four average Three absolute disasters. These will haunt me worse than finding out that you can't get a jelly tip ice poles in Australia. <laughs> uh, Tony Hodge, 13 finishes, 100% awesome. A finish is by default awesome. Yep. Uh, Neil Thompson's got seven finishes, 15% average, 85% terrible. At some point, I will concede that pacing is paramount. You really should concede that now, Neil. <laughs> Don't not at some point now. Uh, Pike Reardon, he said 10% awesome, 20% above average, 30% average, 30% below average, 10% three DNFs. Shit. And then he's got three emojis. I can see them from here. What are they? Are they? Oh, yeah, they're all shit. <laughs> um, Arnold Solovkov's got 35 races. Uh, two were ugly, Kona 14 and J. Lu 2011. And he's got 13 better than expected, the rest average. Uh, my last one, Brian Lafer, uh, 33% awesome, first and still a PB. 33% average, second and blew up but finished. And 33% terrible, most recent DNF on the run due to a medical. And Rob Dallymore, 20, all awesome except one weather shortened. Rob, go harder. Yeah, get harder. Get harder, Rob. Dallymore. Daily more, harder. Okay, John, what about you? So I did a quick calculation for me, and I had 0% awesome. <laughs> uh, above average, 44%. Below uh, average, 11%. Below average, 22%. And terrible, 22%. So uh, I've done nine. My first one was below average in South Africa, uh, New Zealand. Uh, I did New Zealand and Kona in 05. So New Zealand was above average, and then Kona was terrible. Wanaka in 07 was above average. New Zealand in 07 was below average. That was a couple so of So what are you basing this on, where you were? Performance, you know. And so uh, an awesome race to me. I'm not delusional that you can have an awesome swim, an awesome bike, and an awesome run. The chance of that happening is few and far between. Yep. So for me, to have an awesome race, it's just 
really solid swim, really solid bike, really solid run. And so my above average you races, have no awesomes. No awesomes. What no. about your last route? Sorry? That was good, but I didn't run as well as I wanted to. You ran three hours. Oh, no. I ran, th- it was like 3.05 or something like that. Didn't you do three hours on the dot? That was the first route. Yeah. Did, well, well, wasn't, well, I was there, wasn't I? Yeah, but I, I um, biked like a pansy then. Swam really well, biked, uh, ran quite well. Yeah, I don't think you could have gone much faster on that day. I could have biked quicker. No, but you wouldn't have ran as fast. Well, this is where... The, I, I want awesome. I want awesome. Yeah, well, well okay, so at that moment... I, how, I, 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 I went as hard as I could, so I'm not saying I didn't go as hard as I could. I performed as well as I could on the day, but it wasn't as good as what perhaps my expectations were in terms of having nah, a really you, good you're bike. You're too hard on yourself. Oh, I don't know. That was no. I'm being I'm being honest here. That was an awesome day. You 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 were in a really wise race. You you rode, rode technically, didn't you? Well, no, I was just, I was just going backwards on the bike. And okay. yeah, okay, I'll, so, give, I'll give you that. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I'm looking for that good swim, good bike, good run. And I got pretty. I'd say in Wanaka when I got third there, that was about as close as I got. Where I probably only really fell to pieces a little bit in the last 10k of the run so that was that was a borderline i was i was tossing up between those two whether that was awesome or not uh the money afterwards was awesome at that race yeah i can't remember but it was it was like uh it was a lot more when peter brusick wore those gloves that's for sure uh so what else i got up to wanaka 07 uh, new zealand 07 that was a couple of weeks after wanaka and that's uh that was below average for both of us there. We were both... Uh, yeah, that was, that was caught my me on the race. bike and I was like, oh, no. And then I passed you on the run. Yeah, that was and, my uh, race. And I wasn't going well. Yep. Uh, wrote 08. Uh, I got that as above average. Bevan rated that one as awesome, but I had above average. No, was, I was thinking about the like, wrote you did in, in 2017. Okay, yep. Oh, 2017, yeah. No, I struggled a bit on the run then. But you, you, but you held on. Yes, I did. It, I don't think you could have gone faster on that day. Uh, I think I could have gone better on the. Uh, what did I do? Yeah, yeah no, the, I, I three, didn't, didn't the, run great. What did, what th- did I run? I, I pretty, I'll, I'll look it up. It was right 08 when you did on three hours on the dot? Three hours on the dot was 08. Okay. Uh, so, right was you above average. New Zealand in uh, 14. I uh, did New Zealand and Kona. New Zealand had had a few challenges, but it was still good average day. Kona was terrible, obviously. And then, right uh, last year was above average. Okay, so my, I'm, I'm a little bit kinder on myself. Everything's awesome. <laughs> no, everything, everything is, is awesome. awesome. Okay, so my first Ironman New Zealand was probably, I put average. It was probably below, it actually was below average because I ended up walking a lot of it, but I didn't really know, mm-hmm. you know, so I was kind of stupid. So I kind of thought average considering where I was in my athletic career. Um, my second Ironman was above average. Um, I got, I was thinking around 10 hours at the time. I think it'd been about 10.42. So where I was, and, and I actually qualified in that race as well, so I was pretty happy with that. My Kona was average, but I, what I was hoping to get out of Kona, it kind of it was where it was at. Yeah. So I think I think I did ten forty. So it's actually pretty average, but it was a very slow day. It was a very windy day that day, mm-hmm. um, and I was definitely a fast athlete at that time. But I, you know, average was all I was hoping for. To be honest, I wasn't trying to smash Kona. Uh, second, my th- third Ironman New Zealand was. I thought that was pretty awesome actually because I won my age group. I don't think I could have done much more. You for where again where I was in my athletic career. I think I did like nine nineteen, and at that time in nine in New Zealand, that was about right for me. So, and I ran pretty well. I didn't. I think I ran three oh eight. Looking back at my Ironman career, one thing I didn't do is enough running. You know, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time cycling and, and reflection. If I were to do my time again, I would have done a lot more running. Um, but anyway, uh, then my first rote was below average. 
uh, I came off a good Ironman New Zealand. I think I did about 10, 940 in rote, which, you know, I was hoping, I was aiming, I think I was aiming for nine hours, but I was well off the pace. Uh, my sick, my fourth Ironman New Zealand was well below average. That was yep. when, you know, I was, I was probably, I think I was hoping for a nine hour there as well. Mm-hmm. And that became pretty obvious pretty early to the run that that wasn't yeah. going to happen. You and me both. <laughs> we had a bad day uh. that day. And then, uh, and then I'd say my last rote was above average. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to get a sub nine. Um, I didn't quite get there, but I fought pretty hard. And I think, you know, that was, you know, you know, a, a little bit above average. So it's probably a fair reflection of my Ironman career. So rote, I went 3.05 and the run's short and rote. And I should be running under three hours. Disappointing. Actually, it was terrible. That was a hot day and that was a bloody hard Yeah, but that's the thing. Is like you've got to look at the conditions. And, and, yeah. and, and what you did do very well in that race is you, you fought. Yeah, I was pretty smoked at the finish. Oh, yeah. You lay down for like two hours. I was like, is he alive? I was like, your mother, go get your blanket, you know, rub your feet. Okay, this week's discussion. What non-training related changes are you making to your plan this year to help you get to the finish line quicker? So that could be equipment changes. Could be anything. Could be thinking outside the box a little bit. Could be training less. Mm. For some people. This is outside, uh, outside of training. Okay, okay. So what non-training related changes are you making this year to get you to the finish line faster? Okay, John, let's talk about sponsor. Sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. If you didn't know how much Extreme Endurance costs, it's only forty nine ninety five. So sometimes supplements, you're going, bloody hell, that's a really expensive uh, experiment that I want to make mm. and do I want to shell it out? Forty nine ninety five plus you get the IM Talk uh, discount, 25%. It's kind of like a risk worth, worth taking. I recently saw a, um, a good old Terry do a little secret. Bessie sent me through a, a note about this new power meter that's coming out, and it's uh, it was like 150 euros. And you sometimes you see some and they go, "That's just going to be shit. It's not going to work." Yeah, this no, one you look through at it yeah. and you're going, oh, "Wowzers, game changer! That could be a game changer." And he said, "Yeah, I'm just going to get one because it's 150 euros, and if it doesn't work, so be it. So be it." Extreme endurance, forty nine ninety five less twenty five percent. It's worth the risk if you haven't done it, uh, especially if you've got run, running races or anything coming up. I had a guy email me yesterday, a friend of mine. He said, oh, "I'm toying with doing this half Ironman two weeks before uh, seventy point three Worlds in Nice, just because it's close to home." And do you think it's a bit of a risk? And I sort of said, "Well, balancing up, you know, you don't really race very much. As long as you run fit, should be okay. But definitely, you definitely need to be on extreme endurance." as you're going through that, as it will help you bounce back a lot quicker and reduce your, your muscular soreness. So check it out, xendurance.com, only forty nine ninety five. less your promo code discount, I am talk 25 And uh, for you guys in the UK, I don't know what it is in euros and uh, pounds, but use the promo code, get on it, reduce your CK levels, increase your aerobic threshold, reduce your oxidative stress and reduce your lactic acid and muscle soreness. So check it out, xendurance.com. Check, check, check it out. Okay, John, uh, we'll put some music on. Age group of the week. Now, this is the winner of the age group of 45 to 49 in the female category at Ironman New Zealand and uh, Dojo Domination, John. 
Well, it was just a random one. I thought, I'm going to have, we, I want people to start nominating age groupers of the week, please, because there must be plenty out there. And so I just went on to Ironman.com and I thought, right, I'm going to pick out somebody from Ironman New Zealand and uh, and see how they got on. So I went to the, the females age group and I went to, as Bevan said, the 45 to 49 and Benny Grass Thompson took it out from, uh, from the States. She had an amazing race to win by the by just about 40, 40 minutes. So it's not that one. What do we call the one hour one if you, if you do it win by an hour? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was. So That's Jam, impressive. Yeah. 9.56.06. And second was Megan Arthur, but she swam 102. Uh, biked a 5.26, which is really competitive on the Ironman New Zealand course. And then ran a 3.19. So that's bloody impressive. What was more impressive, I thought, geez, I wonder if this uh, female has has done anything before. And it's kind of funny when you chuck somebody's name into um, Athlinks or you chuck it in just into you know, general search engines where they come up from. And there was actually an article on the Roanoke Times on, um, on her. And she'd actually been to Kona in 2017 and she finished seventh but she actually still holds a 10,000 meter run record for a first year student at the University of Virginia um, which was interesting and she's a mother of five going fast at that age with a mother of five yeah, so I read the article on her, and, and she's had a bit of a journey as well. You know, she went to Kona, and she struggled with some injuries. Kind of the real traditional Ironman story, but comes to New Zealand, smashes it. Nice work. Yeah, love your work. So, what's her name again, John? Uh, Bevan, yeah. Right. Uh, Benny Grass-Thompson, you are our age, age group, group of, of the week. week. Okay, John, let's get back to the year. We've got an interview coming up. An interview with a man by the name of Dr. Craig Harrison about youth development in sport. It's a pretty interesting discussion, so let's put that on right now. Okay, guys, we have got Craig Harrison, PhD, on our show today. So he's a Director of Athlete Development at AUT Millennium, which is a high-performance centre we have in Auckland and New Zealand. Uh, he has also been a past athlete himself and dealt with uh, the challenges of being a very good youth athlete and um, what that sort of entails. And he also hosts the Athlete Development Show. So it's a podcast around youth development that Craig can tell us a bit more about so if this is an area that really interests you uh he does a bunch of interviews you can go and listen in there so welcome along to the show craig uh, it's nice to be here thanks for having me right we, we've had a bit of a discussion on our podcast over the last few weeks about you know what world champion athletes have been up to in their sort of in their youth and we we know from a triathlon perspective you know we see a lot of instances where Maybe athletes didn't didn't do that much in their uh, childhood, and they are still able to be really solid pro athletes. You know, um, not world beaters, but able to to really um, make a bit of a career out of it. So I'm I'm really keen to see if you know much about the research on, you know, the real top top athletes, and probably less so in the skill based sports. You know, like um, you know, um, gymnastics and things like that. More in our sort of endurance type sports and what actually they've been up to in their in their youth so you know is there much research out there about that that you know of there's a little bit i think we're starting to understand the landscape a little bit more as as the as time goes on uh so i mean when we look at some of the athletes that have transitioned into high performance the the real top guys then um 
There's been a lot of research that has dug into their individual stories um, and to try and then look at trends across across multiple athletes. Uh, and I, I guess the the overarching message is that it varies, uh, and mm. and it's very hard to pick particular points of interest out and say yeah, that's that's one thing that we know is is for sure when it comes to what a what an elite athlete has in their childhood or in their youth um, but I mean there's there's certain things that we know um, are very advantageous um, so the likes of the support from parents is really important um, and the certain type of support that comes across um, it tends to be pretty typical when it when it comes to helping those athletes transition into high levels. What, what, what is that support? Uh, a couple of reasons. So we look at um, the support that comes from them from a uh, autonomy point of view. So parents typically uh, allow their child to drive the bus, so to speak. So they become their own CEOs. Um, so there aren't typically too many athletes that um, transition when the parents are are leading the, the journey um, so that that autonomy support though parents are giving their their kids the opportunity to make the important decisions and uh, once those de- decisions are made then they typically get in behind them and support their journey so often they're opening doors um, financially is one of the uh, one of the key trends that comes through so in sports that require a little bit more cost then uh, parents that can allow that to happen um, tend to provide good opportunities for their kids. So financial support uh, and then emotional support is, is is the biggest one where the parents provide a safe haven for that athlete to, to be able to sort of talk through emotions, understand the emotions uh, when, they, when they feel like it's appropriate, obviously. Uh, I don't think they're always coming back to the parent for for that support um, when when they strike obstacles. But if there's a, a place where that young athlete can come back to and, and feel safe, then it's um, it tends to, well, it's come through in the research um, that the the, uh, the emotional support is a big one. Mm. I guess we often, like we, and we were discussing this on our show a few weeks ago, there's a few clear outliers, well, they may, may be outliers, they may not be, but, you know, when we think of the, the, the biggest sports stars in the world and maybe, like, we used Andre Agassi as an example, Tiger Woods and, and maybe, like, Serena Williams, that looks like it's a slightly different setup there where the parents... From the outside looking in, it looks like the parents really maybe were driving the bus. But in those sort of circumstances, do you know what was sort of going on, or is um, again, is it quite varied? Yeah, I I think I think that's the uh, that's the dilemma that we face when when we sort of delve into some of the the outlying stories, and arguably they they are outliers. Um, so th- those are the ones that make the good stories. They're the ones that sell the books, um, yes. and and those they do exist. Um, I mean, if you look into into this, uh, the Williams sisters and and the Andre Agassi story, I mean, that's a great book. Um, he he was obviously gifted with uh, the innate ability, and then and then was driven pretty hard by his old man. Um, but the constant message in in that story is that. He wasn't necessarily enjoying his environment, uh, so well, I think it's it's a tough one is to is to hear and, and understand some of those stories where 
clearly they weren't necessarily in charge of their environment and they were getting driven pretty hard. Um, but everything had to come together. You know, the stars had to align, so to speak. Mm. Um, and if we if we take those stories and then try and base our practice off them, then well, I think we're setting, setting ourselves up for failure. Mm. When it comes to, uh, I kind of divide, um, you know, uh, junior athletes into kind of if I say youth athletes you know meaning more of the sort of under 14 or 14 and under age group and then if we say junior is more sort of your high school age say 14 through to 18 um, is there much of a relationship there between the uh, or, or, or no, I guess with the under under 14 bracket how advanced do you think you need to be in terms of your skill fitness development um, and, and in terms of a predictor for future performance compared to say what you go through as you're more of a teenage years and going through high school yeah I, th- I think it's really important to to sort of uh identify those categories when we t- when we're talking about different athletes so uh so if we're, if we're going for the youth athlete 14 and under uh then what what we know is that there's very little correlation between performance as a youth uh, and elite performance uh, and, and that's pretty much across the majority of sports um, so if we look at what 12 13 year olds are doing in their sport and then select based on that um, then we're we're on hiding to nothing really as to whether those athletes are going to transition into elite sport so the research is pretty clear on that uh, that we it's a lottery we just don't know so the when it comes to talent identification, then there are sort of a matrix of ideas now that people can start thinking a little bit more deeply about when it comes to selection, if, if in fact that's what the sport is doing. I think some sports are starting to move away from selection and more think about sort of widening their base of uh, their pools and and including more athletes at the bottom of that pyramid, and so that they've got more chance of the individuals rising to the top. Uh, so, as I said, it depends on the on the sport, but there are there's a few ideas around uh, what youth athletes need to exhibit. Um, so things like speed of development, so their ability to learn, uh, is is something that's been popping to the top when when that research sort of pulls out some trends of of athletes that go on um and then depending on the sport so in the in your endurance based sports then the ability to handle stress and and tolerance to to load is something that around the ages of 14 we can start thinking about um time in the game is probably the the number one indicator of whether or not they they're going to have the ability to transition in the first place so yes they they do need to be doing the work but they that ability to actually resist uh, injury for one is a big one and and handle the load is another one um so so sports is starting to try and get some indications of what that might might look like just, just, just taking a step back to that point you made before, you know, in New Zealand in the last couple of weeks we've had this big topic around one of our, our provincial rugby teams have kind of stopped 
you know, representative rugby under 14, I think it is, below, because I've found that representative rugby actually is listening the pool of players. Um, just your thoughts on that and kind of do you think it's a good path forward to actually not to kind of identify talent too early and just really just get that pool bigger? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would back uh, some of the other people that have come out in support of Harbour Rugby. Um, I think they've made a, a ballsy, but... But good move moving forward. Uh, we don't know exactly what that is going to turn out like yet. Um, but all things considered, it's it's a, it's a good move. Um, and uh, I mean, we know that from like I mentioned the the data that shows us the percentage of those players that will go on to elite performance, and it's it's very small. Um, and so, particularly in a, in a sport like rugby, where those teams are all going to be dominated by uh, either your early mature, so your young athlete that's developing sooner uh, than his or her peers, um, and and also what they call the relative age effect. So those teams are, are stacked with athletes that are born earlier in the year mm-hmm. um, because they they get you know worst case scenario up to twelve months of development mm. ahead of ahead of someone that may be born in December um, because of where they, they cut off the mm. team selection points. Um, so that, that's what they're trying to do. And it's not only it's not only a talent development thing, it's also just better experiences in sport. So they're, they're trying to keep more people playing the game. Um, and the reason that, that they've gone that way is um, when you go down the representative um, way and selecting kids into those teams young then it's it's hard not to adopt a high performance culture um, a winning culture and that's usually at the detriment of learning and development uh, so um, that's that's their thinking behind it is really sound uh, just just in general for kids this may be a, a you know an answer for for parents you know what typically does burn kids out from sport is it um is it when they're not necessarily succeeding or they're they're losing all the time if they're in a losing football team or if they're doing a individual sport like triathlon or athletics they're constantly coming you know towards the back of the field is there much research in terms of why kids um, drop out of sport especially maybe when they transition from that youth to sort of junior age um yeah what are some of the factors yeah that's that's the key age so around 13, 14 is when we're losing up to 70% of our athletes. Wow. Uh, so it's a it's a big drop-off. Uh, and what we know, again, from sort of research that's been around a long time out of the motivational field, um, I mean, we draw it back to uh, what they call self-determination theory, uh, which I'm sure you've probably come across before, but, but ultimately – uh, every human has uh, is driven by three foundation needs, um, those being uh, competence or the desire to actually have an ability or something or at least be progressing in a field or, or a particular skill. Uh, autonomy, so uh, kids desire to have some control over their actions and when that's taken away, then they really struggle to maintain engagement. Uh, and then, and the last last one is what they call relatedness or a sense of belonging. And so, when sports are getting serious too fast, or 
when the environment no longer allows them to feel a part of a team or contribute to the team or the group that they're in, then often they'll they'll pull the pin on it as well. Um, and so, if I if I could tell a story just for a minute, yeah. uh, I spent I spent some time with a couple of young rowing lads, uh, and they were just past that sort of crucial transition. So they were 15, 16, and good 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 rowers. Um, you know, they were representing their school at the highest level uh, and loved to row. Uh, but the big problem for them, um, which caused them to really question whether they wanted to stay in the game or not, was the the idea of relatedness, so the sense of belonging. And when I asked, we spent we spent a couple of hours sort of troubleshooting what was going on, and and this big question as should I stay rowing or or should I go and do something else? Um, and when I asked them why they started to row. Um, and why they continued to row, then they told stories of, you know, out on out on the lake or, or the river at uh, at dawn, uh, watching the sun come up, working hard with their mates. Um, so all these sorts of stories that that go back to this idea of self determination, having some control over your environment, and not necessarily um, it being dictated to you. And so, so that ultimately for them was they lost a sense of belonging. Um, they lost all choice. So everything that uh, they were doing was dictated to them through the environment and through the people that were facilitating that environment. Um, and and that, that caused them to really um, question what they were doing. How much of it is a conflict of what adults think is important to, to you know, in comparison to what really, well, at least what you guys are discovering is important? I think we get biased towards um, our experiences. Um, and when we think about change and when we talk to uh, some of the parents and the adults that are involved in these uh, involved in these environments, uh, then often if you take them back to their youth and you get them to re- reflect on their experiences, then they will quote exactly the types of things that, that we get from current athletes. So they remember the time in the van on the way to the tournament, um, you know, hanging out in anticipation of, of a big event. They remember the the feed at McDonald's afterward, after the tournament on the way home. They they, uh, they remember sort of work, getting up early and working hard with their with the people that meant something to them. Mm. Um, and, and often they lose or they won't necessarily come back to you with the one championship that they won or um you know the game that was the key game in the tournament so although although i'm not discounting those for a second um i mean those those are great experiences and and essentially that that's um a big part of sport um but so when we talk to parents about that they and coaches they reflect on those experiences they they talk about how meaningful they were to them but often when they're in in the uh, in the heat of it, and when they're in the structures and the frameworks that some of our youth environments currently run by, then it's easy to get sucked into the culture, um, and it's it's easy to see things in a way that they they may not be in the best interests of of their athletes. Um, so I think that's probably the rather than seeing things a completely different way, it's just 
um, just have to balance some of these things and and get them to to reflect on some of their own experiences and, and sometimes that that helps so sort of rounding it up like uh, so is what you're saying when you're trying to set up an environment for success for kids um, whether they be youth or junior does it matter too much um, whether you're trying to get you know little Johnny to be as good as he can be or whether you're trying to produce and manufacture world championships is the environment kind of going to be the same you know in terms of that supportive environment where hopefully the parents are on board um, as opposed to necessarily setting up trying to set up a really high performance um, gig from from the early days so is kind of one environment going to get the best for for pretty much everybody or is, is that not what you're saying yeah environment is key uh, from my point of view and and that does come back to um, something that you, that is going to allow the athlete or the group of athletes to one be committed to something to have confidence in what it is that they're doing um, three be getting better at uh, their skill set um, that are required for the sport um, so so ultimately it's about um, learning and it's about development and that transitions to the ability to perform on Saturday or or in the event on the weekend uh, as time goes by um, so yeah for sure it, it's, it's I mean I think you you articulated articulated it well in the in the sense that we need to think about what helps our athletes to be better and to continue to be better um, and not necessarily the outcome all the time so tell us a little bit about yourself craig in terms of what you're doing with your your podcast and um if people want to listen in just give give yourself a bit of a plug and in, in, in the types of things you discuss on your show yeah the the podcast is as you mentioned at the start uh it's called the athlete development show uh, and what i what i typically do with that is invite guests on that can uh share their stories and their expertise um around the youth athlete story uh, so it's quite a theory uh, i chat to researchers to coaches to elite athletes that reflect back on on their younger days um and and, and also sometimes the guests come from areas completely outside of sport which is always an interesting discussion um, and so ultimately it's sharing those stories with coaches and, and parents um, and those facilitators of the environments for the young athlete um, and not it's not so much about this is the way that it needs to be it's just here here are some ideas um, here are some stories of some people involved in the industry and 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 hopefully it just triggers some interesting thought in the people that are listening along so um, yeah it's been a it's been a really cool journey for me um i i started it initially um, quite selfishly to to have a reason to reach out to some interesting people all over the world and and mm. talk youth sport development um and it's uh yeah it's it's been a it's a really cool project cool we'll have links to that on uh, yeah. on the show notes on our website so craig thanks so much for your time and uh we know you guys up at aut are doing some great work so keep it up and uh I've uh, been look forward to listening to a few more of your podcasts. Kylie Cox put me on to you because she's one of our junior coaches with our program down here. And uh, she said, listen in. And I said, well, I'm going to do better than listen in. I'm going to get them on the show. So <laughs> thanks for your time and uh, all the best stuff at AUT.
Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. John, your thoughts? It's great stuff. You know, the the takeaways for me, Bevan, is really trying to, like for our junior program we've got over here, is trying to develop that team culture where the kids want to keep coming back you know hopefully they well, hopefully they, they they love the sport and you want to keep building that love for it but just hanging out that? with their mates and how, sorry well how do you do that how do you build team culture well do team activities and, and what's an individual sport you know we can for a lot of the time when you go do try training it's just swim bike and run you're kind of doing your own thing so incorporating games into it that may or may not be try related you know we try to do um relays kids love yeah, relays love, yeah, and know. just some general agility ball things that's, that, that sometimes might not be again triathlon related we do little beach sprints and things like that beach flags where you're lying down and, and you sprint away and you eliminate one person each round uh so just trying to and, and get them to know each other so I'm certainly not saying we do things perfectly and that but that's the one thing that came out for me was that's something we should be doing more of is trying to have that team uh, aspect and and when you go to races something we don't do as well as we could generally because all our coaches are racing is have all the team if they're turning up go do a warm-up with them they've all got their uniforms and they really feel like they're part of a community so that's the things i'm going to work on with our group uh, going forward it is a good question to ask it's something i always think about for a running business is um how do you build friendships mm. you know and, and, and i suppose there's two things is how do we there's a there's a place um there's a uh, the third place joe and i read an article a while ago that really influenced our business and it's kind of an idea of what creates a good third place and i'm talking about how it was kind of the concept that the mall is not a very good third place mm. and how in the, in the kind of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that the mall became the social hub but the mall lacked some of the real key factors for a third place so so we kind of say home work are your two places most people spend their time and then what's a good third place and this article, now I, I, unfortunately I brought it up and I can't remember the key concepts, but it was kind of there, a good third place has these things which actually build community mm-hmm. and, it, it, you know, that sense of identity, sense of belonging and all those types of things. And I think it's really important as if you're trying to be a coach in sport is A, how do I build social connections and then how do I build identity and kind of a sense of culture in our community? And, and a good example of that right now is the, the Crusaders rugby team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canterbury's always had a very successful rugby team particularly in, in well kind of always really haven't we not always well there was a period yeah. in, the, in the late 80s where we kind of we lost a bit relegated yeah but but generally speaking we've always mm. been one of the better teams but we've had a coach called Scott Robinson in the last few years who has you know just come on he's, they've basically haven't lost they've lost three games in his reign mm-hmm. and he's in his third year of coaching so they're a very very successful team and I actually know one of the assistant coach, Brad Moore, who's a really lovely guy. And um, and you talk to him, and they're all just about the culture. Mm. You know, it's all about what, what are the – to me, culture represents the behaviours that we know we have to take without being told we have to take them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a good culture kind of subconsciously tells you how you should act. And so, you know, and, and that sense of creating good culture – and creating a sense of belonging and that me being a part of this creates something bigger. You know, and there's that good book. I don't know if you have you read the book Legacy? No. Oh, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's basically a guy, it's, I think it's written by a British guy, but he basically studies the All Blacks mm-hmm. and he just studies the culture of the All Blacks. And it's kind of what are the cultural things they do in the All Blacks to actually create success. And it's a really, really interesting book and uh, some really good concepts that come out of that book. But to me, it's that kind of sense of, you know, one of the things they talk about in the All Blacks is that your time in the All Blacks, you need to leave the All Blacks making the All Blacks better. 
so that you can look upon the All Blacks and say, my time in the All Blacks, I actually impacted it, which makes it better as I leave. Mm-hmm. And it's those little things that kind of culturally and belonging and um, connection, if you can do that stuff well, then you're creating an environment that kids want to be in, aren't you? Absolutely. And not just kids, humans want Adults, to be in. Yeah. yeah. And so, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's coaching so much more than just teaching skills, mm. you know, and if you can start to think of it in that way, you know, I think you have a much bigger impact. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, and I think probably the other thing, you know, what I've been trying to get out and what I'm going to continue to ask pro athletes when we interview them is what were they doing in their youth? That was where this kind of all stemmed from. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, in those ages of 10 to 14 for the, for what I call youth and junior sort of 15 to 18. What about you? Sorry? Um, well, I was swimming competitively um, from probably... probably 10-ish I started racing but sort of uh, 12, 13, 14 was swimming competitively now I wasn't that good I was reasonable I was sort of you know if I was lucky I'd make a regional final but I was no not national level or anything like that and I think that's something for us triathletes as parents and as if you want your kids to be to do triathlon and if they want to do it man you've got to be a proper swimmer very good like I was borderline just making it but in the triathlon circles I'm quite a strong swimmer in age group side of things elite mate you got your history if you can't swim fast and so if if, if your kids want to be triathletes if they're not swimming even in that youth age in a squad setup I think it's going to be very very difficult to get to the top Uh, running and biking less important you can pick those up later on but swimming man uh, I think it's not something you can easily pick up unless you've got an amazing amount of talent for short course long course you, there's lots of examples of people that are shitty swimmers and they've got good enough to be uh, competitive um, lots of examples but short course man they're fast yeah they really are okay john one two three four high five. five. Oh, you joined me nice yeah okay this week we're going to be doing a high five on random thoughts around 70.3s happening in ironman distance races because this is a really new phenomenon really because for the longest time it was the only the competitors who did it. So challenge, you know, mm-hmm. for the longest time, have had 70.3s or halves in a full distance race. Um, it's only really been the last three or four years we've seen this come through, isn't it? But today is, is positive day Tuesday, Bevan. So oh, is it? Positive points. So it's really easy for us to spin all these around to be negative. But today is about being positive. And because I'm going to try not to be negative here, most things I find about it are negative. But it was just a couple of comments I had last week that I thought, actually, there's some really good things about this at some events. So today is positive. We know there's other sides to the story. Um, so, this, and this is coming, it stems off on, on Positive Museum. Tuesday. Well, so that means every show from ever is going to be Positive Tuesday? No, no, just today. <laughs> just, just today. <laughs> it's the annual event. Yeah. Uh, so firstly, it means you have more spectators for the Ironman athletes, which I think is great. Not just because um, there'll be people there watching the 70.3 athletes, but then those 70.3 athletes will turn around once they've recovered and they'll be back out in the course. And not so much maybe for the pro athletes, but when you get the middle of the packers, you're going to have a lot more out there. And this was really evident at Ironman New Zealand. I've never seen as many comments by um, some of our Mike local Phillips athletes. Well, didn't yeah, yeah, they were saying, you know, one after the other, saying, oh, the, the sport by the Canterbury Tri Club was awesome. And I imagine most of those, or a good number of those, were people that had been doing the 70.3. Now, just with that, what do you know what time they started the race in Ironman New Zealand for the 70.3? I, I don't have the top of my head. It's 
after I think um, the very tail end of the Ironman swimmers are getting uh, are getting caught by the seventy point three athletes. So it must be about an hour and a half. Must yeah, be. I'm not. It'd be something like that. Okay, okay. Because uh, I'm just thinking, what time would they finish the race? Most people are going to be finished by mid afternoon, aren't they? Early yeah. Well, this, the, 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 we're not going negative here. Yeah. But there are seventy point three finishes that are coming down when the first Ironman athletes are finishing. Okay. okay cool. And then it's about three o'clock, isn't it? About three three thirty ish normally. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so um, 70.3 athletes get to see the big guns out on the course, which can be a buzz for them, which is true. It is. And I had a comment um, from good old Paul Howes. He was out on the, the run course, and he said it was amazing when Mike Phillips passed him on the run. Oh, of course. He said it was like a flipping steam train. You could just hear this pat, 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 pat coming up behind you. And I think he passed him just for a hill, and he just said his pace, everything just didn't change. He just steamrolled straight up this hill. And so he was buzzing. He said that was awesome. Yeah, for that'd him. be pretty cool. Being, a, you know, not a back of the packer, but in the second half of the field, he said that was a really cool feeling and never gets to see that at any other races. Yeah. So thought that was cool uh, number three more revenue for the event organizers i.e iron man uh and you would hope and again we're not gonna be negative John, here, don't trust trickle down economics but, but you'd hope that that might trickle down in terms <laughs> the reagan of, years proved to be wrong john yeah well, okay well, i'm trying to be positive here bevan but you'd hope that the extra revenue means the event's more sustainable and a few of the little bells and whistles that may have been cut actually get included because they've got that extra revenue. Uh, this is actually really good. Number four, there's an opt-out option for those entering the full. So let's say you've got the, the full, you've been injured, or you know, just life gets in the way and you can't train as much. You can kind of downgrade into a 70.3 and still have a pretty great day. I actually love the Equifon, the um, Equibike. Equibike, sorry, that Iron or Challenger having in Monica because that's really apparently this year the numbers went through the roof, and that's another great option because often it's the running that's the mm-hmm. thing that can't be done. So, but yeah, it's another good option if you can't do the full. And the fifth one I've got down here is a really cool stepping stone for athletes uh, coming through that want to see what it's all about because we know that your first Ironman you do. For a lot of people, if you haven't, uh, probably this is more a New Zealand phenomenon than elsewhere because a lot of people elsewhere in the world will have done 70.3s that are pretty big events. But if we look at it from a New Zealand perspective, you go and do you know your local events, and even if it's a bigger local event, there might only be a couple of hundred people doing it, and then you go to Ironman and there's like thousands, you're shitting your pants. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's for, for people, it, it's a really nice stepping stone. They can get to see what it's all about, see how it all flows, and then you know maybe come back and, and do the full if that's what they choose to do. Okay. Any other things to add to that, Jomo? No, it's Positive Tuesday. Baby. Positive Tuesday. Positive Tuesday. Okay. Uh, when are the week, John? Who's, who we got this week? I am going to go for the first female from last week. Where did she go? She was there just before. Oh, God, uh, I was doing this while you were rambling on before, Bevan. Yeah, I knew you. I could tell you weren't listening. This, you know, uh, rambling. Last week, last week. Sorry, there we go. Sherry Rooster I. That's a great name. <laughs> I thought she might have been Isles there for a second because her surname's just E-Y. Oh. Uh, she's from Australia and last week she did... Last week she did... 21 hours and 9 minutes of training from 18 activities. She swam 3 hours 36. She biked 11 hours and 11 minutes and ran 6 hours 21 minutes. So that's awesome in, in terms of her last four weeks. Uh, that's a cool thing I like with Strava. Last four weeks she's been averaging six rides per week for an average distance of 282 kilometres. Average run time, nine hours and I don't know, average uh, runs in the last four weeks. Uh, she's done 48 kilometres 
averaging four hours and 41 minutes per week and then her average swims she's done four per week you're nice and consistent Sherry. Yeah, great training. Uh, nearly 10,000 meters per week um, for an average time of three hours per week so good work Love your work. Okay, John, questions and answers. We've got a good question, a response here from Kevin, the assassin hunt. He says, I was listening to the podcast today and you mentioned that Teresa Adam took the Kona slot. Not sure if this is correct uh, because at the awards dinner, she turned it down and Meredith made a big deal of it asking her why. Uh, Was it that she was too young yet or she felt sorry for an old 40-year-old? She said the later Oh, that's been nice. <laughs> Meredith cried and thanked her profusely. Oh, is that nice? She's feeling sorry for a 40-year-old. Oh, no, but it's pretty nice to give up your slot. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't you think know. she was giving it up. She gave it up for good reason, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was quite interesting doing the roll-down at dinner. Of course, both men took their slots. Mike was an immediate yes, and Starkey said he would go to stir the pot. So did the whole roll-down for the whole race or just for the pros? For everybody. Oh, wow. Yeah. So at the dinner? Uh... Hmm. I don't know. That, I'm not sure. No, they, they don't do it at the dinner. They do it the morning after the dinner's in the evening. So Maybe they announced it in the evening. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, but he's saying here. Yeah, true. Yeah. It sounds like, well, at least they did the pros at the, at the dinner. Maybe they did. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to follow up with a little f- bit more information there about um, the pros who have qualified. Good old Shy said a few things about last week's episode. He said Braden Curry has, because uh, um, I was talking about he might have to change his strategy because he's announced he's doing Rote. He said he's also doing uh, Cairns on the 9th of June and then Rote a month later. And I was thinking, well, I don't know if he'll be doing Rote if Cairns didn't go his way. Yeah. Um, but following on from what Kevin the Assassin Hunt was saying I say thank God for Torsten because I try to find some stuff on Ironman in terms of qualifying and pros that have qualified where everything stands can't find anything anywhere but Torsten if you go to his page he's got a Kona 2019 on there and he's got all the athletes that have already qualified um, males and females he's also got the athletes that have declined their slot so far there's only been two Lucy Gossage and Teresa Adam and he's got all the qualifying races with the prize money and how the slots are allocated uh, so so again, great work, Torsten. Go tryrating.com. Interestingly, you know, um, 19 females have already qualified and 24 males. Really? Uh, so it's in the gills, it's more than half the field. Yeah, but I'm wondering, I, I think we're going to s- potentially see better representation from females in this year's race than we have previously. Based off Torsten's uh, stats, you're going to have 47 males that uh, directly qualify either by getting first or second in their race or sort of, um, yeah, and then on the female side you're going to get 42. Uh, How does it work? Because there's only 35 girls. Well, no, I don't think there's that limit anymore. Oh, so they've got rid of the gills thing. I believe so. Oh, but okay. then, and more interestingly, then they've got these 12 unassigned Why has it been slots. more said about that? Well, I think the way I and probably most people thought it was probably going to pan out to be about that anyway. But what's happened at both Ironman New Zealand and I think uh, Western Australia is the slots the, the slots have been shared equally amongst males and females. So what yeah. I was expecting to see with those unassigned slots is it's done on a proportionate basis was that they're generally going to go to the males. So at Ironman New Zealand there was... Uh, if you won, then there was one and one, so the winners get automatic slots, and then I think there was two yeah, there were unassigned. Two more. Yeah, and they went and to I would have kind of email. thought they'd probably go to the males, um, but in this case, and in Western Australia, it's been two and two. So I think 
We'll wait and see what happens for the rest of the season, but it might be the case that uh, that might carry on rolling that way. But once you start getting to European races, often you find you get a lot more males racing than females. So So you could argue now, so that whole 50 for Kona thing is actually kind of... It's just amazing this hasn't been thought of. Like, we haven't talked about this at all. And it was such a big subject for such a long time. And in many ways, you could say this is a fair representation of the amount of athletes racing. Yeah, but it's quality over quantity. That's the whole argument that's always been, is the females, statistically, the females have been as strong as the males. It's just a quantity um, issue. So, yeah, I don't know if that really washes. But at the moment, quantity's been even. So, And you're saying that you actually think that, that if we're looking at the field that's already confirmed, it's a pretty strong field. Oh, hell yeah. But do we see in the second half of the season, because all these good ones have qualified, that we start to see the kind of the second tier people get through? Well, a few second-tier people at Mal de Plata, that was a place to go to get your bloody Kona slot. Yeah, that was a really yeah. uh, So, oh, no, I think we're probably going to end up with a pretty similar field. It's just if you have – the thing is, if you go somewhere, really competitive field, and you get third, then you're kind of screwed. You might get well, third Braden by Curry. two minutes. Yeah, Braden yeah. Curry had a solid race. Uh, and he's – yeah, he's at ground zero. Ground zero. There yeah. you go. Oh, interesting stuff. So, um, whatever. We had lots more points as well. So we we've also got Jorgensen ran the Chicago Marathon on October. So we're talking about Wing Jorgensen last week and just saying what's happening for marathon. And it, uh, what's his name? It's Shai. Is it Shai? Shai. Um, he's got Jorgensen ran the Chicago Marathon on October and finished in a two thirty six. This puts her at fiftieth place in the American Women's Marathon running results for the trials. So she's well off the pace. Two thirty six is pretty shit. Yeah, yeah, for that level. Yeah, for that level. Yeah. Um, she stated that this was a disappointing result for her. Her shorter races indicate a marathon time of around 2.30. In order to qualify for the Olympics, she has to be in the top three. The trials will be held in Atlanta in February 29th on 2020. The US Women's Marathons are probably the strongest they have ever been. Four of the top 10 fastest American women marathons were done in the last 18 months, and the 11th was done in 2017. The Women US Marathon team is probably in the top three worldwide now, right now, so unless something drastic happens, Jorgensen's chances of even qualifying for Kona are very low. Tokyo. Just quali- oh, sorry, Tokyo. Um, are very low. Just qualifying would be a major thing. One last point. No woman has ever won Olympic gold in two different sports in the Summer Olympics, so if Jorgensen does, she'd be considered a GOAT. But in saying that, she's well off right now. Oh, I think it was... Uh, there was never any chance she was going to win Olympic gold. I'm no. not having a go at you, Shire, or anything no. like that. That was the, the the big put up there statement. But that's dreaming. Um, dream, dreams, dreams are good, I guess. But yeah, I always thought she was going to be up against it. But yeah, she needs to be. If she doesn't qualify, you know, twenty twenty four is a long, long time away. Hmm. Oh no, uh, she's but she's going to have. Yeah. She's made a media company out of herself, but she does. You know, she's got a little channel. She's got lots of people following. Yeah, totally, yeah, that's what you got to do nowadays. But, but. Um, it's just going to be really interesting watching her career because if she'd stayed in triathlon, she probably yeah, I'd imagine she'd still be crushing it. She's good. She got her swimming to a standard that was good enough. You know, they might occasionally get a little breakaway on the bike on her potentially, but she seemed to be able to cover everything. And her biking, yeah, I'd say she'd more than likely still be crushing it. There's nobody that stepped up massively on the run front. They are getting closer. They are getting better, but uh, she was such a class above. So yeah. It's just really interesting, isn't it? You know, going back to the kind of discussion last week about Lucy Francis, like the thing about it is, it's really interesting to give up such a successful career to chase for something that, like, you get Mecca at the end of his career going for the Olympics. Okay, we get it. You know, that's a bit different. But she was in the peak of her career. True. You had to go for a pretty ambitious goal. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but then we look at who was that lady we interviewed on Legends who went to four Olympics? Sheila Tormina. Oh my God, I have so much respect for that woman. Mm. She gave up everything to start a sport where she'd never even done horse riding before. Mm. You know, and, and potentially could have won a medal. Mm-hmm. Like she, you know, like, you know, so good on Gwen. Um, I don't know if I would have done that myself, but good on her. But at this stage, it's tracking that's not going to go so well. So thanks, Shai, for that. Uh, James Thomas sent through an email, John. Oh, I just want to give you a big thanks for helping out with my swim. I started late in my mid-40s and never came easy to me. I listened to your kind of podcast with Carl and Pipes teaching John how to swim. Uh, never coach coach. Anyway, You're I was, a good student, mate. You're a good I was student. A, a 114 to 120 Ironman swimmer with a stroke rate in the low 40s. Yesterday I swam 4,500 metres and 126 with a stroke rate of 60. I could have swum another 2,000 without even thinking about it. So thanks guys and thanks Carl and from James the Red Rocket. Thomas. So question I have for you, has that influenced your swimming? Uh, you know, n- you know, three or four months later down the piece. I need to really, uh, I, I need to have a dedicated swim block to, to make it work um, if I really want to commit to fully making Changing. that change. Yeah. And at the moment I only swim twice a week and that's not going to change anytime soon. So at the moment it's been one of those things that's helped me um, focus on a few th- areas that I needed to work on. But if, if I was to say, am I swimming exactly the way that I swam in the um, endless, pool. In endless pool? It would be a, a no. And the, the main areas that Carlin and I worked on was getting my uh, entry point quite a bit wider. And that's something that I just... For, that, almost universal for for a lot of triathletes is the hands come across in front of your head and it really sets up the, the rest of your stroke really poorly you start crossing over and, and you start zigzagging through the water so that's one area that has really helped me is it's just reinforced me to Go wide. try to think about sort of 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock in terms of you know 12 o'clock straight in front of your head and most people come across that and if you're aiming for 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock your hands are generally going to go in around about the right place. And for me, that really helps you me set it up that sort of early vertical forearm, trying to get that catch properly. So that's one area it's helped. Probably the main area, if people do go back and listen to that interview that I really struggle with, is the, um, the fairly early exit. You know, so your classic swim stroke, you're pulling all the way through down to your thigh and, and exiting with your pinky and then uh, coming over the top. What Carl was really trying to work on with me is trying to get that exit point you know by your rib cage almost under under your arm and really shortening your stroke up quite a lot and going from much higher cadence and, and it was real just kind of grab that first bit of the stroke wasn't it yeah and that's the area where i need to do a huge amount of practice if i was to get that down pat and doing it properly whereas at the moment most of my swimming is just swimming for fitness um and uh just but, but then you could argue why wouldn't you actually put more time just doing less intensity and use this as a time to get your technique better you could argue that, uh, but I'm just sticking <laughs> with my try. I think John's, that's John's way of saying maybe Bevan's right. It's as good as it ever gets, guys. Uh, so nice to see James making some progress. Oh, there's massive progress. Yeah, good yeah. work. I'm going to uh, save this next one for okay. next week. Okay, well, we're just going to have a bit of a race, uh, a plug for a race. It's called the Artemis Great. How's that one, John? Uh, Artemis, I can't even see where it is. Great. King Drach. Is that how you say it, is it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay, let's see what Apple says. I'll put it the Apple. Let's have a look what Apple says. Come on, Apple. Do your job. My computer's dying. I mean, I'm having technology problems always today, John. It's not going to happen. The great, uh, the Artemis great con- <laughs> uh, quadrathon. It's just a little small, small race that's happening uh, somewhere in the world, somewhere in, must be like a, where, is it? where do you reckon that would be? Oh, Bevan, I 
pause the show. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna pull, up, no, pull up the website. We can go Give through. them a decent plug if we're gonna. If you got to know where it is. Okay, well, you swim 0.8 miles, you walk, is it 15? You kayak 7 and you cycle 34 miles. It looks like it must be like in Scotland, wouldn't it? I think it looks like yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to do a little kind of quad race, check that out. Jombo, yep. uh, let's talk about the patrons. Let's talk about them indeed. Yeah. Uh, Rob, give a, little, uh, give a lot little. We've got uh, Vincent, the member. Francois. Is that who that is? Francois. Yep, okay, yep. I'm going to give that to you. And Jonathan, the squeeze, Huddleson. Okay, guys, if you want to be a patron, just go to www.imtalk.me and just give a little bit of your money to us to support us and what we do and give you content every week. Uh, if you do, you go into the draw to win a trip to Kona with the boys in 2020. Uh, you also go uh, get a gift depending on your level of prize and just know that you support the show, which really does mean a lot. Thank you to all the people who already are patrons. If you want to email the show, you can email me or... Uh, just yeah, it's me. I respond to the emails. I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to get the show emailed to you when we release it each week, just go to www.iamtalk.me and the link or just a little sign up page is there. Coaching with John, Coach John Newsom is coachjohnnewsom.com. My other podcast is at bevanjamesisles.com. Send us through content, age groupers of the week, cool websites, and other feedback. Again, to the email address, Jombo. What's your goss? What's my goss? I'm about to go and hit your fridge, Bevan. And you need some chocolate, uh, do you? need some chocolate. Anybody, you know, actually, you might, you might struggle. Oh, if anybody does know of any, uh, last week I was talking about low-carb, high-fat um, research that's out there. If anybody knows of any research on dark chocolate and the, athlete, the benefits of it for Because you think it works, doesn't you? I'm convinced. I, don't, I haven't seen any research before, but I'd love to know if there is some out there uh, because it's amazing. Dark, Come it's here. got to be proper, good, decent dark you chocolate. You still my dark Ghana yeah. from, from Whitakers? So if there's any research anybody knows of, flick it through and I'd love to share it with the community because I find it to be awesome. So you, is it only when you have the aisles factor? No, I sometimes I have it elsewhere as well. Okay. So yeah, no, the dark chocolate is gold. Would you use it in a race? The, the other one uh, is, well, the, the, the challenge you've got there with race nope. is uh, it's going to melt. The other one is why do you pee so much after swimming? That's a good question. Mm. That is a good question. I pee like crazy after swimming. I need to go for a pee right now. I'm not going to do it on the couch. Do you pee in the pool, John? No, I do not pee in the pool. <laughs> and I don't think I ever have. There's definitely people that have. I know that. And I'm pretty sure I'm not one of them. Back in the swim days, it is a bit of pressure. You get out of the pool, you're, that's really frowned upon. Oh, you cannot okay. get out mid-set. If you get out mid-set... You've be peed prepared in the pool then. A, You've peed in the pool. No, I don't think I have. I'm pretty sure I haven't. Be prepared for a kickboard on the head is what you're going to get if you get out mid-set. I loved old school coaching. It was good. Like, <laughs> yes. You'd be swimming along and this coach, if you're swimming along, he'd just throw a kickboard at Who you. Who was it? Oh, we had several. You know, Grant Forbes, Brett Naylor, he was a bit more chilled. Guy Clive Power. It's just old, some of the old school stuff was fantastic. You just get this thud on your head and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Crack on. <laughs> and then other stuff you used to do, like you'd swim along and uh, Grant used to have this wooden stick, like a broomstick. Yep. And uh, if your hands were going too wide, you just get this whack on your wrists or oh. your hands and you didn't carry on doing it. <laughs> yep. These days, bloody hell, you'd have get a hug. Lawsuit, you get a hug. You'd have lawsuits all over the place. <laughs> so some of the old school methods were pretty bloody good. I actually... I was saying to someone last night, I found this 1991 um, logbook, training book of mine in the garage the oh, other day. Oh, really? Wow. And I was just having a bit of Do you of still keep it a logbook? 
I suppose you've got te- technology now. Yeah, yeah. Back then, the swimming is a big thing. You always used to have to write your full programs down, put comments and you hand your logbook in you know, every week or whatever and sometimes you get some comments from the coach and stuff. So it was really good keeping a, a log back then and I've still got a few of them. I was just flicking through a few pages going, again, this comes back to I was an okay swimmer but it wasn't great and I was looking at my times going, bloody hell, that's pretty fast. And what, what, was, what was fast for you back in those well, days? Like I looked at the set and it was it was something like six by two hundred on three fifteen something like that and this is meters not yards and holding two minutes twenty so holding one tenth oh, nice. yeah. and again I, I wasn't that good uh, at that time what were the good guys doing oh they'd be way in front of me you know uh, if you couldn't swim under under sixty seconds for for a hundred you were nowhere and so you know what was it like doing Daniel Loder because you Daniel Loder won the Olympic gold win. Yeah, he was he was older than me. But no, no, but you yeah. would have been running your swimming at that stage? Yeah, but... I'd he won 96, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So no, was I, was, it like? I was finished by about 91. Oh, okay. Because it must have been awesome in the swimming community. So for those who don't know, Daniel Loder is basically New Zealand's best swimmer of all time. He won the 200, 400 free? Yeah. Yep. yep. And he won a, a bronze in the 200 IM at the previous Olympics oh, in 80, 88, I think it was. Really? Yeah. 88 or no, 92? 92. 92, 92, 92 yeah. Atlanta. And... Uh, uh, it was pretty amazing if you weren't a swimmer, but imagine what the swimming community was like yeah, at that moment. Beautiful swimmer. Was he? Oh, amazing. Really? Mm. Oh. Never saw him live, but just on TV. He's just your classic, massive, tall, lanky guy and uh, just this huge stroke. But like you know, Ian Thorpe probably got massive feet. And uh, yeah, he was a great swimmer. Because those are the pinnacle events, aren't they? 203. So like, like little Tommy's got his buddy, uh, both both my kids have got their own sports this week. Tommy's down, he's he's 11 and he's doing, he got he had 40 seconds for his 53, which is nothing to write home about, wins yep. the school sports, but to get through to just our regional champs in New Zealand is not very good at swimming, you know, he's going to have to go significantly quicker and at the, the regional champs, and if you're not getting down towards 30, uh, you know, or 35, um, you're not getting anywhere, and yeah. that's 11 year olds. Yeah. You've got to be a good swimmer. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, John, any other goss? Um, no other goss, really. Oh, I did want to say, I just really enjoyed our interview with Mike Phillips last week. Um, he's you know, generally a fairly reserved sort of fella, but I think he he's normally really, really a bit well. of a quiet guy, isn't he? Uh, Not quiet, but reserved is a good word. Yeah. Just that belief that he had, uh, just, I think, when Cameron Brown said, come on, you can do this, yeah. the impact that had for him would have probably the difference between coming first and second just by somebody else who you and, and really also, looked up to. And also, and you know, let's be honest, Cameron Brown would have been his hero. Mm. You know, like in New Zealand, Cam's been, you know, like he's a bit over it now, but you know, Cam was the man. Mm. You know, and Mike would have followed Cam his whole life and get Cameron Brown in that moment mm-hmm. in your deepest, darkest moment with the most potential for, you know, the most awesome moment in your career to have that guy say, mate, back yourself. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, so that belief is just so big. Yeah, he would have gone really well otherwise, but I think that would have been the difference between maybe a two forty three and a two forty. Two forty, man, uh, smoking it. If like if, if that can become his standard, he's a, he's a he's a player now, isn't he? Absolutely. You know, because he can swim and bike. Mm-hmm. You know, if he can run two forties, you know, mm. you know, he's a man we're going to look out for. So bring it on, Mike Phillips. Uh, any other goss? No, the goss settling into settling into routine. February's a tricky month. Had secondary schools triathlon on Friday. Shitty weather. Other than that, Bevan, what's happening in your world? John, a couple of things have happened, actually. First of all, oh, I, I met I one of... I met a guy on running on Saturday, that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, Indian guy? Um, you, you, and you shy, maybe? Yeah, shy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he said shy, and I thought, oh, this is the guy who emails me. So he introduced himself, and he said, oh, Bevan from my own talk. I said, yeah, mate. And, I said, and he said, oh, I'm shy. And I said, oh, you email us all that good information. But he goes, no, no, it's not me. 
Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he was out running. We'd, we'd, we'd set up, because we had our long run for our runners, so we'd set up a water station and we're just about to pick it up. And him and his mate, who worked at, I think he worked at Jade, um, him and his mate came along and they just grabbed some water while we were there and had a bit of yarn. He said, yep, he's got into it. He's loving it. Selfs. Yeah, totally. Well, he might have a drink. Um, he did Ironman New Zealand and I think he's trying to do another one or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And he's, he's just said he loves the community, he's getting into it, so it's just sort of giving him a bit of a shout out. Um, I, was, I was walking to the gym the other morning, John. Nearly got run over. Nearly right got here. run over by a bad driver. Aggressive driver. So here's what's happening mm-hmm. I'm the pedestrian mm-hmm. walking down towards the gym. A car's coming out of the car park. Mm-hmm. Now, who gives way in that situation, John? You generally slow down if you're the car. Yeah, because the pedestrian. <laughs> Generally So I'm thinking Okay what's happening here This car doesn't seem to be slowing down This car doesn't seem to be slowing down I better duck behind the car So I start to duck behind the car And the car stops And so I go in front of the car And then I'm thinking The car's trying to take me out I'm just like Who's this dangerous driver And then the car waves at me But I couldn't really see in the window I'm thinking I don't know It's at the gym I know everyone So I had to wave back But deep down I'm thinking Who's this schmuck Uh, Why is that in the window Who is it John It's my wife Belinda Newsom. Get him when you get the chance. It's like a possum walking across the road. You speed up or a magpie. Get it. So there you go. Your wife's a dangerous. Do you think your wife's a good driver? She's okay, but geez, she gives me oh, pressure when I'm driving her around. Bloody hell. Oh, really? She's fairly critical of my driving. I don't think my wife thinks I'm a good driver either. Yeah. Do you think you're a good driver? She's a nav- she's a, she's a, she always wants to go the quickest navigational route. It's like it might be five seconds quicker. She gets Pretty fired up. I can tell right when way. we were in Kona last year because this is the first time in Kona where Belinda was with us. I could tell John does it. So I remember years ago, uh, there was this relationship book I read, and, you, and there was a kind of the little fights we have in our relationship. And one of them was like the wife will kind of not put butter on your bread. It's just a way to kind of get you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just that little thing. And we were in the car park going into Lava Java. Yeah. And John would just, just, just over there. Yeah. <laughs> and you just go down a little bit. <laughs> I think you have a, I think John has a bit of a, a parking car park protest. Am I right? Yeah, it could be, could be right. <laughs> I think yeah. I picked up on You don't get a good car park, look out. Um, but then the other thing that happened on the weekend, we went around to, you know, Tim and Haley, who apparently you know them, um, they live up the road from you. They've just moved them recently. Right. Hayley, I think your kids go to school for your kids. Okay. You've got to go to a barbecue at their house, John. Okay. You've got to go to a barbecue at their house. Yeah. Tim's, Tim's a roofer. He's a roofer. They've got a roofing company. Um, and I am going to get friendly with this. <laughs> oh, mate. Tell you, you have to go to a barbecue. <laughs> I look at your roof. I, think I you need a new roof. Okay, you need to get friendly with Tim because... Um, I did think that actually. I did, when we drove past you, so I looked back and I thought, oh, John, it's time to get a new roof. roof. Yeah. So, because um, you've got tiles, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, time for a roof to upgrade. But um, Tim's the ultimate man about the house. Mm-hmm. Like you and I. Yeah, so so. So so. <laughs> I installed a dishwasher last week. That's That's pretty impressive. That, that, now, that is top level for you and I isn't it took a yeah. lot <laughs> a there was lot. another relationship <laughs> test to that one <laughs> it was like us painting the house this year break God. the plumber no <laughs> so so go around to Tim's seriously you know just at the top of your road yep. basically go there it, they've only been in the house for six months Sean they moved in like six months ago go out they go out back so they've got they're kind of the living is out the back of the house they're a little bit up on the hill so they've got a bit of view the ultimate barbecue area. And they've done this in six months. You walk in, they've got a deck. They've put, just put a, like a roof over the top of the deck. Mm-hmm. You walk in, you know when you go into a bar, they've got like the 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 fridges that are glass so you see all the alcohol in there? Mm-hmm. They've got one of those full of alcohol. Nice. Like, 
you, and you walk around and think, holy crap, that's pretty fun. Big screen TV, all the speakers are around, so we're watching the game, the music. Yeah. But then to the left, he's got a, a pizza oven, mm. a kick-ass barbecue, mm. and then this big-ass smoker. So then he'd been smoking these ribs all day long, mm. pulls out the ribs. Oh, my God, the best ribs you've ever had in your life, John. <laughs> You need to get to the house for a barbecue. Yeah, onto it. It's definitely the best barbecue on your street. Yeah, guarantee it. And he's only been there six months. Sounds good to me. Shame on us, John. Let's wrap it up. Okay, John. uh, Iron Russ. I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.